Hello, and welcome to Native Awakenings. Here at Native Awakenings, we believe that an awakening is an ongoing process. It's not a stagnant destination. And as we move through this experience called life, we encounter wonderful friends to help aid us in our awakening. Today, one of these beautiful friends is Gina. Gina is a mantra facilitator and a space holder. After meeting Gina, my life transformed in a wonderful way as she was able to guide me through removing obstacles within my path using the vibratory experience of mantra. Today we have a wonderful conversation with Gina. We get to hear her story her practices, what mantra means, and the other medicines and modalities that Gina plays and experiences on a daily basis. This is Gina, the medicine of mantra. How long have you been playing guitar? Off and on for many years, really? <laughs> but more seriously started getting into it just over the past year. What made you start taking it seriously? Have you always been interested in music or? I just had this dream of being a rock star when I was mm. little. <laughs> Before I started playing the very expected card of saying like, oh, I'm gonna be a doctor or mm. whatever you say, whatever you tell people uh, when they say, what do you wanna be when you grow up? You start to say something responsible as you get older. Mm. But what I always kept to myself was mm. that I wanted to be the front woman of a rock band ah. and play guitar and sing up on stage. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, just as a little child, I don't know, we all play air guitar and have fun, but I took it pretty seriously and just knew that I wanted to play one day. So, yeah, guitars came into and out of my hands over the course of many years, and I just gave up every time because it was too difficult. Nobody tells you how difficult it is to play that instrument. Mm -hmm. it's like, especially if you want to cover songs, which is what I was focusing on most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I just got sick of it. And the next time that I was gifted a guitar last year, I said, I'm not going to focus on covering people's songs anymore. I want to write my own things and tell my own stories and even that has taken its own evolution really so yeah oh wow wow so you're writing your own music now you're not doing as many covers you're kind of composing your own songs yeah I'm composing my own songs but honestly because it permeates so much of my life the melodies that I write I'll put to mantras because that's the core of my practice mm Mantra is the core of your practice. So for those that don't understand what that is, what is mantra? Mantra. If you break down the word from Sanskrit, man is mind. Mm -hmm. And the second part of that word, tra, means mm -hmm. to transcend or to deliver. Mm -hmm. So to mantra delivers the mind from distraction, confusion, doubt, negativity, and it organizes your mind in the same way that a yoga pose organizes your body. Mm. A mantra has the power to allow you to transcend any conditioned state of being. And it brings you from your mind back down into your heart. 
Ah. What inspired you to start yoga? And it sounds like mantra is a huge part of your yoga practice. So what have you learned from this practice of yoga? That it's a lot more subtle than it's given credit for. In the West, yoga is marketed as an asana practice, which is if you really get into yoga and you start doing your research and you really embody the essence of a seeker, you will learn very quickly that asana is a very minuscule part of the practice. As you dive into different texts like the yoga sutras and things like that, you'll find out that asana is very small or a very it gets less hype or it got less hype in the old days, actually. So what have I learned? My, my roots in this practice, therefore, they're, they're not in asana. I was chanting Sanskrit before I knew what I was saying. I heard the Hare Krishna mantra as a child listening to the Beatles. And when uh, Madonna came out with her album Ray of Light in like 1999, when I was 10 or 11, I was chanting the Ashtanga yoga invocation and I had no idea. <laughs> so yeah, so that that vibratory essence and that union that is experienced from this practice of chanting, it is uh, it, it chanting belongs to bhakti yoga. At least chanting out loud anyway. Japa, m- uh, mantra japa where you're silently repeating a mantra on beads that belongs to many practices or many different, what do you call it, paths of yoga. But yeah, chanting out loud belongs to bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion. That's exciting. Every time you speak on mantra, I'm in trance. And to hear that, hey, you can be a yogi, you can be a yogini without having to contort your body in all these asanas and postures is beautiful. I really enjoy that. And I'm glad that yoga can be approached in all these ways. It's not simply limited to the asana. It's also really interesting. You mentioned, I, I always wanted to be a rock star when I was young and sing in front of people. And it's interesting seeing that kind of desire from your heart move into your actual practice that you do every day, kind of still honoring that. Wow. Well, what other personal practices or rituals do you do? Do you do any others besides mantra? Mantra is the core of the things. There are times where I feel like I will need to honor my body by moving it around. And that can look like doing yoga asana postures. That could look like freeform dance. Moving moving my body is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've found it with respect to moving stagnant energy. So that could also look like going on a walk in nature, grounding myself in nature getting my feet into the ground if I can. Also, journaling is a really has classically been ever since I was very young, has been a practice I've been engaged in as well. Not always super consistently, but it's become a consistent practice again this year. So ah, journaling, also singing. When people speak of yoga, I often think of even though I'm a yoga teacher myself, I often think of the physical movements of it so what makes yoga different than from say pilates or tai chi because if you're adding this aspect of using your voice and still using that as yoga what what makes yoga different than other practices in your experience 
Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Pilates, actually, because Pilates is very much, if you study it, it's very much a body-breath connection thing. But in Pilates, there's at least how I've approached Pilates, because I integrated that into my practice as I was just starting to do yoga asana, because I was dancing at the time, and I, or I was training to be a contemporary dancer at the time. So I was integrating Pilates into my practice, and it's very much a structured breath and body movement practice. While you're focused in, say, a Pilates practice on linking those two things, there's no it's lacking, at least for me, lacking that spiritual essence. To me, Pilates is just about the physical, just breath and body. And with asana classes, at least I'm, and I'm referring to group classes, I seek out teachers who are well connected in that way spiritually because those teachers will be giving like a dharma talk at the beginning of class and they'll be really mindfully weaving a theme say from like the bhagavad-gita for example through class or the yoga sutra or whatever just i crave depth in all areas of my life mm -hmm. and what categorizes yoga from other movement practices is that there is that spiritual connect and it's not that way for everyone but it is for me ah you mentioned dharma what is dharma dharma at least how i understand it translates as right action Dhar like another a keynote for dharma is alignment dharma is also associated with purpose and it's like, what is the right, what is the correct purpose? What is the correct path for you? Everybody has an individual dharma that they are here to carry out. So. Wow. Okay. Wow. So this, just using your voice, just expressing yourself in this way connects you to not only a passion that you had when you were young, but also it sounds like this is the right purpose of using this energy within your body. And you use that as a practice, it sounds like daily. <laughs> so, right. wow, wow. Well, it just keeps coming back around and it's certainly evolved a lot. You know, when I, when I chant and when I play my guitar and my harmonium and I'm integrating it into a yoga class or a workshop, it's not, I've been very careful to not, or to watch when my ego starts to want to run that show because it feels a, like a completely different delivery if I allow myself to think that I'm performing this stuff that is mantra-based. If I'm singing my own songs, that's one thing. But even then, I would like, and I aim for everything that I do to be encapsulated in that level of depth and respect for these traditions and that it's not entertainment. It's about connection. Yeah. For a period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, what I do when I bring this stuff to workshops and stuff and at the beginnings of my yoga classes, when I weave mantra into my yoga classes, it's an extension of what I do here in my space, here in my room. And that vibration of connection that is authentic and heart-centered is... That's what I aim to bring forth and to hold my container of space in. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wow. I like that a lot. It's all in Dharma. It sounds like if what you're doing at home is 
Well, also what you're doing while you're out doing workshops, it's the same practice, but just more energies are there to receive it rather than yourself. Right. Right. It's not even about teaching other people how to connect. It's just like people through that experience, they remember that they can connect in that way, that they can at least for one moment, just like leave their drama at the door when they dissolve in the power of mantra. That is the power of mantra to, again, deliver the mind from the incessant chatter Mm -hmm. that we do internally all day long. And some of us feel like we can never escape that. So it's important to remember that we can and that we are capable of that transcendence. I like that. And that's hopeful too, that I don't have to turn myself in a pretzel just to <laughs> just to find some peace from these thoughts. That's wonderful. So those are primarily your practices, asana and mantra uh, practice. And journaling, and journaling. as well. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. So you mentioned starting that this year, did, or three years ago? Journaling, I've integrated it in, in and out most of my life but this year I got more serious about it again in about in May is when I started making journaling a daily practice journaling is a bit difficult for me sometimes I tell myself I don't have enough time I know I have time but how what attracts you to that practice why has it weaved in and out of your life and how do you journal because I don't do I write down every thought that I had that day that I liked or disliked or (laughs) I actually don't even know how to journal (laughs) well I mean I have always used it as an outlet to process my emotions and to process difficulties that I feel like I'm having because I haven't classically felt safe enough to confide in people about my problems so I when I don't feel that I write about it and what ends up happening is that you could call it higher self you could call it a voice of truth whatever you want to title that as that there's something that comes forth at least for me something that is like channeled when I write that I could be really authentic with my experience of processing pain. And then also this, this very positive, encouraging voice comes forward and moves through my hand, through the pen and onto the paper. So it's like a reminder uh, for me of like higher truths. And certainly this voice was coming out more as I got older, like in my 20s, mm-hmm. after I started practicing yoga more seriously but uh journaling this year looks less like processing pain it looks more like you could call it manifestation but I want to be careful or mindful with that word I started following the holistic psychologist this year Mm -hmm. on Instagram and she has a journal prompt called daily future self journaling and it's a beautiful practice because It encourages you to look at your limitations and to look at your shortcomings. And at the same time, as you get really honest with yourself and you get accountable about your behavior toward yourself and toward other people, you simultaneously 
imagine and build what you want to feel like in the future, what you want to experience, what you want to embody, what you want to be experiencing more of in the future, and the qualities that will be with you in the future. Whoa. So when you're writing, it's not like the defeated inner self is writing about woes or troubles, but what was really interesting and what stood out to me when you were speaking is when you're writing, it's almost like your positive future self has taken control of the hand and kind of gives you the answer. So you might be thinking of a negative. I always like to think of negative. (laughs) Like, how do you solve negativity? But you might even be writing something positive. You might be journaling something positive about your day, but even still that voice has a perspective and that's what winds up on the paper. It's mm-hmm. it's a thought first and then as that thought gets processed, by the time the pen or pencil starts writing, it's almost like a future self, a d- different self. Definitely. Whoa. Yeah. That's real. That makes me want to journal because yeah. I've never thought – I when I personally write – it's this version of myself mm-hmm. for sure. I'm thinking of this thing happened or I'm grateful for this thing. It's very, very present based. But asking my inner self and my future self for some advice about a situation that I'm going through now via journaling is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try that out. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah, definitely. It's been one of the most powerful exercises that I've ever done. And it's making a little gratitude list is also part of that journaling prompt. It's like seven, seven different parts that I or seven different questions or whatever that I answer every day. And they look a little bit different every day. Sometimes things repeat too, um, especially in the gratitude list. Mm. (laughs) But it's like honoring the past, becoming present through gratitude, and then paving the way for the future self and what you want to be embodying. So past, present, and future are all encapsulated in that practice. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Gratitude. When you hear that word, is there a feeling that comes to mind? What do you associate with gratitude? Gratitude is expansion. Gratitude makes space for everything. And at the same time, everything becomes full as well everything is radiant gratitude is bathed in a sense of acceptance of what is and what you have instead of what is not and what you don't have and to be in gratitude you also have to be present so it's a very it's definitely a buzzword gratitude but when you get to really experience it in an authentic way it's one of the most powerful things that you can feel. There's, there isn't a flavor that quite feels like gratitude that I know of. It doesn't arrive when I'm making a gratitude list. Gratitude is a spontaneous experience for me. More often than not, I don't have to consciously think about it. It happens to me when I become present. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Hmm. Gratitude is a spontaneous event. Wow. Okay. That gives me a new lens to even look at gratitude from. Thank you for that. (laughs) I have another one. Compassion. Compassion is empathy. Compassion comes from the Latin compati, uh, which means to suffer with. And when you empathize with someone, 
you have gone through that experience, that same experience that the person who is suffering went through. So you're able to know how they feel and suffer with them at that moment. It's it's like my heart breaks not for you, but with you as you are suffering. Whereas with something like sympathy, with sympathy, you may you probably haven't experienced what the person is feeling and you say oh man like my heart breaks for you but with empathy having gone through that same experience you can say my heart breaks with you does that make sense yeah yeah that makes sense it's a feeling that you also feel within you empathy seeing through the eyes of another is how i always view empathy and i love your description of compassion of it being empathetic of not only pitying or sympathizing for someone else but feeling what they feel within your own body letting their experience live within you is extremely compassionate and I feel as though that's more helpful too because then you can be compassionate in a way that is experiential rather than mentally integrated so oh wow I have another one purpose Purpose is determination. You can't live with purpose and not be determined. To live with purpose means that you know where you're going. You're self-contained. You're confident in your direction. And to embody purpose, yeah, you absolutely have to be determined, especially because your purpose may not be in alignment with other people's purposes. And to live in that and to embody that, you have to build strength in the face of different obstacles and differing opinions and things like that. You To be embodying purpose, you have to be almost like overtaken by it and really doing it, really living it. And to do that is to be determined and to become, it's not like tunnel vision, but it's just focus. Because the mind can go in so many different directions. Life can pull you in so many different directions. So can relationships. But purpose, it's clarity in that determination. Clarity within determination. I'm keeping that one too. (laughs) Wow. You're welcome. (laughs) What do you do when you're sad? A variety of things. I When I'm sad... My first inclination has been to try and fix it. Like, oh, I'm sad. I should I should do something about this. I should listen to uplifting music. I should surround myself with people who make me laugh. I should chant all this stuff. I jump right into having to fix it. And I jump right into having to think my way through it if I can't be around others who uplift me. But what, I've, what I'm learning is that when I'm sad, that I really need to sit with it instead. Because if I push it aside and try to fix it immediately, then I have to deal with it later on some other level. That being said, there are times as well, especially when I was younger, where when I was sad, I would wallow in it. And I'd listen to like sad music. <laughs> like I have a playlist for that (laughs) I don't do that very often anymore at at all but there was a period of time in my teenage years maybe early 20s where I'd listen to 
sad music when I was sad and really just be in that vibration because I was already feeling it anyway yeah. you know so it's either a full immersion I it's been a polar a polarized experience it's either a full immersion in the feeling or I just totally try and bypass it hey you're but human. I'm learning but I'm learning to sit with it just this year too in larger ways learning to sit with negative emotions and sadness and to feel them instead of escaping them what about the polarity of that? Like, what do you do when you're happy? What does happiness feel like to you? Teach us about happiness. <laughs> happiness is a transient feeling, mm. just like sadness. These are waves on the emotional spectrum. Happiness is also expansive. Uh, happiness is like, it's a feeling of radiance. I feel like a sunshine when I'm really happy. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I get I get described that way as well when I'm around people and I'm really happy. It's been an interesting thing to see how people receive happiness because there are people who don't like to see other people happy mm -hmm. uh, because they're not happy. And to to learn how to hold your own when you're happy in the face of like other people's suffering like that's a big deal that you don't have to downplay the positivity that you feel in other to in in order to make other people feel comfortable or in order for you to feel like you need to belong in certain circles and in certain situations where people are just swimming in their shit and that very lesson came to me in a medicine ceremony when I was down in Ecuador and I was so elated I was elated and and there were a lot more people around me than not were processing some deep shit and I was totally joyous oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that just goes to show you when you share medicine and circle like it's a variety of different things that can happen and I had a moment where I questioned it and I was just like no you know what that's that's not what I'm here to do anymore I need to embody what I feel, whether it's positive or whether it's negative, mm -hmm. particularly with respect to happiness. Like, that's how I want to feel all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when I truly feel it and its fullest expression, I've learned that it's better to be with it and not adjust for other people's comfort level. And if people, some people think it's too much, then that's their problem. It doesn't have to steal my joy and my happiness. Yeah. Was that a relatively easy sort of concept to begin to integrate of, or was it difficult at first? I know for myself, sometimes I'm like, am I too happy? Like, am I too much for these people? So that's a question I ask myself, but you mentioned that you were able to begin to share your joyousness really with everyone. Was that as simple as a shift in perspective of your mind? Or was that a practice that you had to do to get to a point where you could, hey, even if someone is upset to my right, I'm still going to hold my vibration? Yeah, I feel like because I was having the experience of being in, in ceremony and being with, with medicine, plant medicine at that time, that realization was a gift from that experience. So I feel like it was already 
integrated at a very structural and cellular level. So I understood, I didn't have to put it into practice really after that for a long time until this year with just like everything that's going on in the world. I really felt like because of the pressure that I feel and the the wound that I carry with respect to belonging and things like that, I felt like this year because there's so much suffering and everybody's upset and all of that, I felt once again like, do I have to dim my light to accommodate for all of this suffering? Or like I would feel there were moments where I felt guilty for being happy mm. and joyous through like my practices and to maintain that attitude while the collective is crumbling in grief, at, which is understandable, crumbling in grief and just having the rug pulled out from under them with all of these issues going on. So that was a moment of reckoning. And I can't say that I experienced it quite like that once again until this year. Hey, well, it took, it, it is a perfect time to be challenged on all of our beliefs. So yeah. it's, it's time for all of us. And I think that that's a wonderful spot that you're holding because for those that are suffering, they still need people wishing them well. There still needs to be a positive energy that's admitted to all sentience and to be one to hold that vibration with love and respect. I think that that's really, really wonderful that you can still within this time remember to smile and to project a joy out there. You mentioned medicine ceremony and i was curious to you how do you view medicine what is medicine a lot of times when we speak on plant medicines it is indicating that there's something wrong with us or that there's something that might need to be remedied i'm wondering since you've traveled to take medicine before what does medicine personally mean to you and your experience Medicine for me is a connection to God. That's what I've experienced every time <laughs> because that's my intention going into it. Certainly, I've had questions and things like this going into ceremony. However, especially with my experience with San Pedro, I had all of these questions because a friend shared with me like, yeah, when you take the medicine, you can ask it questions and you'll get answers. <laughs> and so before I, before I took it, I had all these questions. And what ended up happening is that, you know, cup after cup of this, I, the questioner dissolved. And I was just purely present mm -hmm. and purely joyous and in bliss. And because I had this union within myself, I... It just it's just connection. That's like, a, I don't know how, how other people <laughs> would react to this, but like that's an experience of yoga. Mm -hmm. Yoga is union, union of, yeah, masculine and feminine energy within oneself. Mm -hmm. Medicine has been all about divine connection. Divine connection via the vessel of unity of self that medicine seems to bring you to a state of unity and when you're in that unity you're able to connect to source or conscious or your word god or that's super cool <laughs> i like that i like your de definition of it i always like empowering people and myself and 
a lot of times medicine is looked upon as a crutch, like there's something wrong, but seeing that, hey, it's actually a tool to bring us into unity is wonderful. I like to view it as a non-specific mental amplifier because our consciousness gets just expanded through that means as well. But your definition of it just sounds so warm and sounds so welcoming. And I don't know the word for it, but it just sounds really wholesome. Unity. Yeah. Well, a lot of these medicines have been labeled as entheogens Mm -hmm. and in like classically speaking when people were ingesting these a long time ago it was specifically to connect with the divine and to communicate with the divine so for yeah for most of these medicines that is the that was the original intention it wasn't to have a good time Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was to connect wow oh cool What gives you confidence? What gives me confidence is when I am two things, when I get out of my own way and when I'm when I'm feeling and when I'm acting upon a creative impulse to be in creativity is to be in flow. And however that expresses itself is kind of irrelevant as long as it gets to express express itself. And for me, that can come through dance, that can come through writing, that can come through making music, chanting. And yeah, so I, I feel instilled with a sense of confidence and self-assuredness when I feel like I'm an open channel for grace and spaciousness, yeah confidence when you feel like an open channel for grace and spaciousness i like that a lot because grace is soft (laughs) i like grace it's not when i think of confidence often i can get a picture of arrogance almost but coming from a place of spaciousness with grace as a sense of confidence is definitely a look that i like to try (laughs) i like that a lot (laughs) as you were speaking on confidence You mentioned getting out of your own way. What does that mean? It's difficult to explain because getting out of my own way is another word to describe it as surrender. Mm. And surrender is not me saying, oh, I'm going to consciously surrender to this moment. Mm -hmm. No, it's for me. Surrender doesn't work like that. When I am able to get out of my own way, it's circles back to becoming a channel for grace and for softness and spaciousness and other divine qualities that pour through that channel. Wow. So it means that I am less limited in my perspective. I'm less limited in my experience and my consciousness and in my body. The limitation and me getting in my own way, quote unquote, is very ego based, which is I associate with small-mindedness and limited perspective. I like that. I'm hearing so much unity in everything that you say. First, it was singing as a child, mantra, and then even plant medicine. All of these tools so far have all been in this alignment with a word that you used, dharma, your truth. And that's so cool to hear and to see someone that 
is what they speak, is what they do, is what they say. You know, like all of those coming into alignment. It's a really great just harmony of being. When I think of harmony, I think of serenity. And I'd love to know what your take is on serenity. What does that word mean to you? What do you associate with it? Serenity is like perfect peace. It's peace that even though serenity is like a state of being and a state meaning that you can come into and out of it. But it's that perfect peace. I can I can remember lots of experiences of this in my life and very often those have that feeling of serenity has come to me when I've been in a holy place. I very clear experience of serenity happened when I visited India for the first time a couple of years ago and I took my first dip in the Ganges River oh what you went to the Ganges yeah (laughs) yeah I was in Haridwar and which is in northern India and and serenity was what exactly what I felt when I got out of the water and I sat on this, I sat and like leaned up against this pillar and I was in the sun completely. And like just that process of dry, like drying off and like having my eyes closed and continuing to continuing to listen to the flow of the river was like, I don't know, nothing can touch that moment of serenity. I just, I wasn't thinking, my mind stopped in my body it was like I was in my body but I wasn't of my body (laughs) so I wasn't like transported to some other dimension I was perfectly in that moment but not a lot was going on very simple touching back on what you first spoke on you're speaking on simplicity now and you mentioned yoga what is more subtle than a lot of people believe it to be does that subtlety is that linked at all to serenity at all, would you say? Or, or is the subtlety of yoga different than the feeling of simplicity of serenity? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Subtlety doesn't necessarily equate to simplicity all the time. Because to to get involved in the subtleties of yoga, I mean, this is everything from pranayama to dharana dhyan samadhi you know those, those are all are, subtleties <laughs> for a quick for a listener that doesn't know are the what are those are states correct samadhi yes yeah. yes okay states of concentration okay concentration meditation and samadhi is same awareness or bliss Thank you. Transcendence. For that. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> so to become involved in the subtleties of yoga or to realize that it's a subtle practice doesn't always equate to simplicity, but simplicity and serenity are the destination when the practices are working. You use the subtleties to get to a place of simplicity yeah. and same awareness, samadhi. Yeah. Ah. Oh. And it's not to say that you can't have a, you know, an experience of flow or some sort of body-based 
transcendence when you're in, I don't know, a vinyasa yoga class or whatever, that can totally happen. But it's a different level of experience when you are seated and moving toward meditation and when you become absorbed in meditation. But yeah, that's what I would say is that the destination is simplicity in the serenity. Mm, oh, cool. Because all yoga is just, it's a system. It's a method mm-hmm. to arrive. And there are lots of systems of yoga. <laughs> so like when, the, with the terms that we used previously, uh, dharana, dhyan, and samadhi, that belongs to Patanjali. That's Patanjali's method of yoga. But a very helpful method. <laughs> very helpful yeah. method. And it's, yeah, it was the first codified or written down system of yoga that people or that, well, I guess at that time that Brahmin men were practicing. When I think of simplicity, well, first, were any women practicing yoga in that like dhyan and samadhi and using that codified system? Were women using a codified system of yoga along Patanjali's time? From what I understand and from what I've researched, no. Uh, what did women use to gain enlightenment? I'm not sure. You know, there were women, there are certainly women saints in India and things like this. And probably a lot more of them existed, but they just weren't ever written about. I'm sure women had their own ways of arriving in the state of yoga, but it just wasn't given a lot of press, let's wow. say. So, But it wasn't until the practice of yoga got more modernized with Krishnamacharya, who taught about yoga being for the individual or tailoring practice to an individual. And that's when, because of him, because he taught his wife and he taught his daughters yoga, that's when the practice started to become more open and more modernized and more accessible to women. All right. Go Krishnamacharya. Thank you. (laughs) It's so interesting how times can change because as a sentience that inhabits a male body, I often get like not criticized, but questioned. It's like, oh, you're a dude and you do yoga. And it seems at, at least in the 21st century that yoga is a quote unquote women's exercise modality. But seeing the history behind it, seeing the true roots of yoga and seeing how different the westernized ideals of it are, are almost laughable when when you think of its origins. So, wow. And thinking of all the complexities of how yoga came to be what it is now, we spoke on serenity a while ago. The opposite of serenity within my consciousness is, is anxiety. And I was wondering what's your take on anxiety and do you have any tips for those that are anxious? Anxiety, in my experience, has been where a lot of energy is trying to process itself in my body. So it's like a, an extreme rise in energy that my body and my nervous system are not accustomed to dealing with and processing. That experience for me is foreign. My nervous system and therefore my body and brain perceive the experience of that rise in energy as a threat Mm. to my physical safety. 
Okay. And if it's caused by an emotional experience that like triggers it, then there's negative emotion tied into it as well. So that compounded thing of my body thinks it's going to die (laughs) and um, I'm experiencing negative emotions attached to it. That's a very overwhelming feeling, clearly, which is why it's called anxiety. So and the physical sensations that I'll experience are like prickly skin, a lot of uh, an extreme rise in body temperature, lightheadedness. And just it's the experience where like I'm leaving my body almost. Mm. And so to combat that sensation, I have to breathe really deep into my belly and I have to move my extremities around. So like my my fingers, my hands, my arms, my legs, my feet, just kind of twirl them around, move them around, locate where my body is physically feeling tension and consciously soften it and release it. So it's like a systematic process that I have to move through. And But it starts with the breath, those deep belly breaths, because when you bring the breath deep down into the belly, it activates a parasympathetic nervous system response. And when you're in anxiety, you're in sympathetic nervous system response. It's the fight or flight thing, which makes you feel unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, so move... Um, that's another way to change your physiology. We spoke on plant medicines and now using your own body system to change your neurochemicals that are being fired within your body to shift you into parasympathetic and put you in a calm state. So that's something that you could do anytime you're really getting overwhelmed with that feeling of anxiety. Just, hey, you don't have to go to Ecuador you can take a deep breath <laughs> or many deep breaths. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, it's important to remember that there's no timeline on how quickly you have to overcome that wave of anxiety. It may take a little while. And when you're in the actual sensation of anxiety moving its way through your body, uh, it could feel like fucking forever, mm. really. And But the key is to just maintain your focus, keep breathing, and keep coming back down into your body. Wow. I like these tips. I like them a lot. I was thinking of what you also mentioned about gratitude, about how that is an unconscious movement into grace and simplicity. And I'm wondering, what do you think about acceptance then? What's your, if you had to finish a a sentence, acceptance is what acceptance is seeing all situations all people all relationships all happenings and occurrences in life seeing everything as it is acceptance is seeing everything as it is not how you want it to be so acceptance in other words is the removal of expectations Do you feel as though those expectations could cause anxiety, which is links back to that too. And when you're able to, to be more present in here, do you think they're correlated at all anxiety and expectation? They can be, they can be. I can't say that I always experience anxiety as a direct result of my expectations. Mm -hmm. I think what I experience more is sadness and disappointment Mm. and 
anger and bitterness and all that stuff. So it doesn't, it's very, it's still very much mental and it definitely has an effect on my physical body, but it doesn't usually take me into a full blown experience of anxiety. Ah, oh, okay. We've covered a ton, but I want to know, I've been driving this conversation and I want to open it up uh, to you. I want to know if the entire planet took a moment, if they were really receptive, what would you say? That even though we feel compelled to seek and to look outside of ourselves for the happiness and the bliss and all of the, and the connection and all of the belonging, all of the things that we seek as humans, that even though we move through that external journey, that ultimately the result is that we have to go inward mm. because the external will only, it'll have an expiration date and it'll have timelines, things that begin and things that end, mm -hmm. states of being, states of relationship. And that when we go inside, we have the opportunity to cultivate something that is permanent and something that no being, no situation, no circumstance can touch. And this is, this is what saves us. What's been a really effective way for you to go inside? Mantra. <laughs> and more specifically, I, I wasn't always big on japa ever. I always loved my experience of mantra being the chanting aloud, but just over again, like starting last year, probably around the end of the year last year, I started making japa daily, non-negotiable part of my practice. And it's changed everything. Oh, wow. So, um, and it was also important to shift into that and to really commit to one, focusing on one singular mantra mm -hmm. where before I was working with a lot of different ones and just sampling and trying to experience different things. Yeah. But I mean, after touching back with the Yoga Sutra this year, one of the things that Patanjali says is that if you keep changing your practice is going to cause mental instability and mental instability and a lack of ability to focus is what causes suffering which you're trying to alleviate through this practice. Yeah. Right? So yeah, sticking to one mantra, sticking to one one of the divine names has proven to be very powerful, very profound, because while experimenting with other different practices and things was beneficial, and I guess what I felt like I needed at the time, like, oh, I should evolve my practice as I evolve and stuff like that. But I was never sticking with anything long enough in order to really become intimate with it and to really dive into it and know it. So Japa has been a large part of that for me. And Japa is? Mantra Japa is when you repeat a mantra on every single bead on your mala. So a mala being a garland of beads that is long. It could have 108 beads. It could have sm some of the smaller wrist malas can have 27 beads, mm -hmm. you know. So is that a, when I think of mantra, I almost think of an entire song. Is that a song, an entire song on each bead? No? 
It can be, uh, oh, depending on who, depending on who, if a guru gives you a mantra, it could be something longer like Gayatri, or it could be just one name that you repeat over and over, or it could be the sound of Om that you repeat over and over and over. Oh, and there okay. are different schools of thought on how many repetitions that you have to do and all of this. And I just do, I just sit there until I can't sit there anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not too tough on myself about how many rounds I do and all of this. And other traditions will subscribe and prescribe do 14 rounds of this or do a thousand rounds of this or yeah. every day. And I just, Whoa. I don't do that, but yeah. So for me, for our listeners, if I want to get into mantra, if I want to get into japa, I do want to go inside. I do want to experience those wonderful things that you mentioned. How can I use japa? Is there a beginner's japas or beginner's mantra? I know om is inc- is pretty easy. That's this, that's the syllable right there. Yeah. Um. So, but do you have what would you recommend? Well, their om is definitely up. I mean, that's easy to work with because it's just one syllable. It's very easy to repeat. Yeah. And Om is the the origin point of all sound and all things that are created. So that would be a great one to start with. From what I've learned about mantra, there are certain mantras that are locked and some that are unlocked. And two other mantras that are unlocked are Gayatri and Mahamrit and Jaya. Uh, what so, does unlocked and locked mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it means that if something is locked, I, I've i taken that as you don't have access to the full potency of what that mantra can bring. And that's not, this is not my information. Oh, this yeah. is what has been told to me by my teachers. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you would have to go through some sort of initiation yes. or attunement before you could. Yes. Oh. Yes. So the word for when you see, receive that kind of mantra initiation from a guru is uh, diksha. D-I-K-S-H-A. Diksha. And that's when you go through a formal initiation into a school of yoga or into an ashram or whatever. When you take refuge in the guru or the school or whatever, you could move through or you more often than not will move through a process of diksha where you become a part of that tradition. Ah, okay. I took us on a rabbit trail, but (laughs) you mentioned there, there were two mantras that are does it matter if i say mantra or mantra am i saying it wrong if i if you i mean the pronunciation of sanskrit is it's something that you can incorporate and that you can learn about yeah in sanskrit like with the word mantra Mm -hmm. the a is a short sound Mm -hmm. so you're it's not mantra (laughs) it's not yeah, it's it's not ma- it's not even mantra. It's mantra. So if you're really going for, let's say, cor- correct pronunciation mm-hmm. for Sanskrit, see even like Sanskrit, yeah. Sanskrit, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So if you want to go for correct pronunciation, then yeah, mantra. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, all right. I will finally let you finish answering the question. <laughs> you mentioned two. Two unlocked 
mantras for the aspirant that wants to get into it. One was Gayatri, and you mentioned the other was Mahamritanjaya. I'm not sure if you feel up to it now. Do you feel like possibly chanting it to see if anyone resonates with how it sounds? Sure. If, if, yeah? Yeah? Sure. Oh, yay. Cool. Whichever one you want, you can rock that. Okay. So Gayatri is a mantra for honoring cycles and it's about the illuminating power of kind of lighting up the intellect so yeah cool we're gonna light up our should i should i close my eyes should i have yeah yeah close your eyes and bring your attention inside cool (laughs) (laughs) okay om bor Tatsavitur vareniam Pargo devasya dimahi Dio yona pracho daya Ah, wow. Thank you. Sure. <laughs> Gayatri. We'll, um, we'll put that in the notes as well for those that are interested in it. For beginners, we can try out Om, and for if I really want to get into mantra, I can start with Gayatri. Wow, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> During this time, I like to, you've spoken to the planet, and you've given them wonderful advice. Go inside. I'm a meditation teacher myself. That I feel like that is the most powerful advice anyone could get, that there's just this wonderful space that's called your consciousness, and when you get in commonality and familiarity with your consciousness, amazing things can happen. You have more awareness, more choice. You also use your voice in a podcast as well. You have your own podcast. I do. Yeah. So how do you, it's, it's really cool just seeing all this alignment and unity of what you've done and who you are from this journey of this young kid wanting to sing to going and traveling the world to Ecuador to finding unity within that voice and then to your teaching experience sharing it and now you're speaking and you're teaching so could you what's your podcast about I'm a huge follower I know what it's about but (laughs) tell my listeners please about what you do yeah so the podcast is called co-creating radiance and it's done by myself and my soul sister, Thea, we met at the job that we were both working at a few years ago, and we bonded over the Hindu goddess Kali. And our friendship just unfolded from that moment. And we basically started this podcast because we always have these really juicy conversations about things of a spiritual nature and making things accessible and We have similar things that we're into, but we also, we practice differently. So the fact that we can find commonality with each other, even though we practice different things, is really amazing. So what we wanted to do was just bring these really natural conversations and things that we'd already be talking to each other about on the phone or FaceTiming about. We just wanted to put that on display for others to take what they want from it. So it's just an offering of perspective yeah. on spirituality. Uh, oh, great. Well, I love the perspective that I've heard on there. My favorite episode 
is your female deities episode. I don't know which number that is. Me either. Oh, <laughs> but it's a really fantastic one for those <laughs> listening. You also have your own, um, you have a Patreon account where people can actually sponsor, is, I don't know the correct term, sponsor you? Or, yeah. Yeah? Wow. So what do you do on Patreon? Yeah. So on Patreon, it's a it's a combination of different offerings that are released every week. There are there are philosophy talks on there. There are journaling prompts on there. There are um, sessions for story time where I share personal stories and uh, lessons learned. There are monthly videos on there. And also for the second tier sponsors or patrons, they have access to longer guided meditations and longer um, yoga nidra sessions as well. So it's a lot of offerings going on on there. And it's a two tiered membership. So one of them is $8 a month. The other one is $11 a month. If you do the $11 a month, you have access to more content. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Wow, that's affordable, too. That's really easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm going to check out your Patreon as well. And how can people find you? Like, I, I love hearing your story time. I'm a big follower. But what are all your platforms so that people can get into contact with you? Yeah. So the Patreon is called Blue Sky Mind. And I'm most active in social media on Instagram, Gina.Rodondi. We'll put all this down in the description of the episode. Yeah. Um, so Instagram, I'm active on. My website is www.GinaRodondi.com. And that's where I post all of my offerings. You can find out more about, about me on there. And there are links to just various services and offerings that I bring to the table. So that's another place to find me. Certainly co-creating radiance is where you can hear me speak about different things. And we already talked about blue sky mind. Yeah. So those are my places. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, at the end, I like to do custom endings. I like to flow if there's any outro saying that you like if you ever see a friend and you you depart and you might be like peace or deuces i love to give you the opportunity for any last closing words peace and blessings <laughs> peace and blessings <laughs> namaste <laughs> beautiful <laughs> the spirit animating my body honors values respects witnesses appreciates and unconditionally loves the spirit animating your body. Aho, matakweasen. Namaste.